0614-0303. This is the Morning Drive on News Talk WVMT. Welcome back to the Morning Drive, everybody. Kurt and Anthony here, and joining us in studio now, it's the Mayor of Burlington, Moreau Weinberger. Good morning, Mayor, and good morning, Jordan. Well, you shouldn't have a microphone. Then. I was like, <laughs> I, just, I have to say good good morning to Jordan because it's been a while since you've been in here with I know, us. I'm glad to be back. No donuts, but we'll let that go. I love coming yeah. to the show. We sorry. don't need any donuts. <laughs> I need to lose some I weight. I have to get so. up too early. You, you're I, used I'm, to I'm better up off without any donuts. Trust me. <laughs> morning, Kurt. Morning, Anthony. Great to be back with you. Hope your summers are going well. Yeah, and uh, a little too quickly, but well, it is. Mid-August already. Almost late August. Isn't huh? crazy? It's flying by. It's been a crazy summer, that's for sure. And uh, before we get into some issues, just the the uh, in baseball, <laughs> the Yankees are, are dead last. They just got swept by the Braves. They have a losing record, and their 30-year um, streak of not having a losing record for 30 straight years could be in jeopardy this year. Yankees are fans are calling for Cashman's head and Aaron Boone's head. Oh my gosh! The Red Sox are ahead of the Yankees, and at least they're still in the hunt for the wild card. So, your comments as a Red Sox fan? Um, my comment is, I got to pay more attention. My gosh, what a delicious! You've been a little busy, uh, yeah. That's uh, that's stunning. What a, I mean, to think that it's been a thirty-year streak in baseball it just is. Uh, Almost unheard of, right? Has it ever happened before? Uh, there's only one longer one that was by a previous Yankee team in the, like yeah. the 30s or whatever. So there, that I did streaky. get a chance to take my girls down to. Maybe we talked about it last time. I don't know. We, we no, did go I, down. I thought you said you were going to, but you, that's yeah. right. We did uh, at the um, in July. I uh, went down to family first time in a while. I'd been there. It was a totally beautiful night. This I don't remember if we did talk about this. The Red Sox scored in the first inning, second inning, the third inning, fourth inning, fifth inning, sixth inning. Wow. Um, you know, I think my girls have a totally jaded understanding of how hard it is to, to the value of a, wow. a run. <laughs> right. um, and, I, you know, it made me, I, I remembered this sort of obscure stat when I started thinking they're only going to get up two more times. So they're going to score every time. How many times in baseball, professional baseball history, you know, it's over like 130,000 games or something like that. How many times do you think one team has scored in every inning? In every inning. That's a great question. Boy, um, I would say... Just a handful. Not even. Not even. It's much rarer than a perfect game, even. It's only happened twice and all the time. Twice. Can you believe that? First, I was going to say three. So I thought they were, you know, they were honing in on it and they kind of, they they had something going in the the seventh, too, but they couldn't quite do it. So what was the final score? It it, it was like 10 to three or something like that. You know, they they won decisively. So did the girls. It was a fun team to watch. Did the girls enjoy the experience? Did they, do you think they're going to become baseball fans now like you did when you were (laughs) I'll tell you, my nine-year-old had a great time and, uh, and it was the start of a, you know, it was, it was some great family time together. So I, you know, I'm not sure they're going to become the obsessive, uh, you know, baseball focused, uh, teenagers that uh that i was but um they did they did, we had a good time together. but what a great what a great way to see a game you know when you're a kid to just see a run every inning you know and it's just some excitement i mean the whole idea of being in fenway is cool i'm sure you know and it's so it's just so cool but to have a game that exciting and engaging uh it, it gets, yeah it, it was, it was a beautiful night the stadium looked great it's awesome i love one thing i love about the current ownership the way they just continuously invest in in that beautiful and they old park the, and the legacy of the team, and, and yeah. as opposed to looking at leveling, I hadn't it seen and, those the way they had changed the 
Ariapion right field. I thought that was some uh, some great new spaces and. Um, uh, yeah, it's something else, right? Uh, to say yeah. to like to walk into a stadium, there are basically as many people there as are in the whole city of Burlington. It's it's kind of a it is quite a quite a contrast to growing up here in Vermont. That's what was so compelling to me. I think growing up on a dirt road in Vermont, um, and uh, they got some of that for sure. That's cool. That's very cool. What do you think? What was it about baseball? And then we'll go on to some topics. But what what was it about baseball that made you as a kid become such a huge fan? Now you don't have as much time to, to, to do that, understandably, <laughs> but as a kid. Well, there's a couple things, Kurt. One, um, I was playing it at the same time, right? And I love, you know, I, I've always enjoyed sports and um, I, I, I found that you could like practice baseball by throwing tennis, tennis balls off the wall of our house. And, yeah. uh, you know, I got to be a pretty good defensive player that way. And so uh, that was a big part of it. But um, I, I do think it was this connection to the bigger world. You know, it was a little bit isolated growing up, literally where I grew up dirt road, six miles in, in rural Heartland. My parents were amazing about taking me to sports events. And, you know, I was not a deprived kid in any way, but it was, but it was a little bit lonely up there at times. And, uh, then to, to walk into Fenway Park and just be a part of this uh, exciting event really was compelling to me. It, and I also, I love the numbers. And to, I think it had a big effect on shaping uh, my belief in the importance of numbers and understanding numbers and trying to look at what the numbers really mean, not just, uh, you know, I discovered Bill James early on, the guy who oh, you know, yeah. the whole Moneyball movie was made about and, you know, what he showed that, like, you've got to actually analyze the numbers. You can't just take these uh, accepted wisdom, these sacred cows. you got to really, like, look at what they mean. And, you know, we try to do that in city government. It's uh, we, we continue to have this BTV stat monthly meeting. We have data analysts that really, as much as possible, try to give us the ability to make local government decisions based on evidence, not intuitions. It's a really one of the stronger ethics we have in the administration. And, and uh, you know, I, I think it's led to some good things. You see that? Baseball is life. Mm-hmm. Moreau took baseball, and, and I agree with you, baseball is a, is a statistic, is a great statistics game. I mean, you, you know, that's as much fun as anything is, is looking into all the statistics. And so Moreau took that love of baseball and turned it into data as the mayor of Burlington. Yeah. So you got to see baseball's more than just baseball. It's just- Data-driven decisions is always a good thing. It really is. I mean, if you if you can see the real data, it's yeah. it's it's a you know it's often hard to do yeah. because it you got to work to especially you know we do a lot of things you know collecting data is mm-hmm. challenging, um, analyzing it takes effort, um, and often there are just you know really powerful forces like uh, you know that we do things in. And baseball's a great example of that right for so long people just kept. Giving up outs with sacrifice bunts, not realizing that they were decreasing their chances of scoring every time they did it. You know, the they're, they're, it's really easy to fall into just doing things the way you've always done them because you've yeah. always done them that way. Right. And I do think data can sometimes allow you to push back against that and make important change. Yep. All right. Enough about baseball. We could go on. <laughs> we could do a whole show on that. Maybe we will sometime. But, don't, don't you, do you still do the VPR show with on baseball? Every no, year? I haven't done it for the last couple of years, but I did it for about 12, 14 years. I, I love doing that. that yeah, that was cool. cool. That was fun. Um, so, Moreau, let's talk about um, the issue. It was at the Burlington City Council meeting on Monday night. I was watching at <coughs> home, and uh, I and we've talked about it on the show after, of course. We've had a lot of calls about it. Um, and I just want to get your feeling to start with, too. I found it just very uncomfortable, and I and I have to say, I felt bad for you 
honestly, and I want to hear what you felt just because I know you. And to me, there's not any, even even a question, even to say the, even to pose it as a question of white supremacy or racism. I mean, here you are as a mayor, the person that started the equity office that built that office up more than I thought it should be built up, quite honestly. But you did, and you've done a lot of stuff on that issue. And so to have a small group of people, you know, throwing out charges like white supremacy and looking, as Max Tracy, frankly, did, former city councilor and city councilor president, looking at you and screaming about racism, I found it disturbing, and I just wanted to know how you felt sitting there listening to that. Kurt, I've always thought that it's really important that we debate our toughest challenges, our biggest issues, even if they're emotional and challenging at the city council. I think it's really important for them for doing that. Um, and I've tried to foster that and support that. Uh, I do think what happened on Monday went beyond that to personal attack that, um, uh, you know, terms were used that just are, are not consistent with my values and my vision for the city. And I found them important and I reject them. Um, we did this report after some pretty concerning accounts coming out of Minneapolis that had implications for us. And we decided we, we needed to look into and, and find out exactly what had happened here. And so we did that. That's what the report does. It's always been the center of my leadership to really try to care for taxpayer resources. It's always been part of my leadership to make sure we're getting the most uh, out of every public dollar when we're investing, you know, when we're investing in equity, when it, whatever it is, we, we need to use that money well. And that, the report was about advancing equity and uh, stewardship of money. And um, I think the report did that. And, and uh, I think having completed it, we know what happened. And some, some, some charges were, you know, some concerns were exonerated um, and some concerns were found. And now we can react to them and, and move forward. I'm not going to get into the details of the report because, frankly, I've, I've read part of it, but I haven't read all of it. But I do want to there, – there was one part of the report I looked at um, that seemed to be saying there was still some information to come. In, it's not technically an audit, right? It looked like they were saying it's more of a review than an audit. Is that correct? Yeah, the word audit has some very specific technical definitions, and what we did is hire uh, a private attorney who had experience with fraud investigations and financial reviews, and, and this was a financial review to ensure, you know, to, to look into what happened. And in the report, they seem to be saying that there's still some outstanding information still to come in. That is that not true? I thought I read I'm not that certain what you're referring to there. No, I, I think in... Uh, from my perspective, this is a pretty comprehensive effort, uh, and I think it, it resolves what happened and what didn't happen and puts us in a position to be able to move forward. Now, we've got plenty of issues, other issues to get into, but I do want to ask you, I, I want, at least want to ask you to respond to what some of your detractors and critics have said, which is that this was not fair because not every other department faces a audit or something like an audit where there have been some issues and that some people threw out Gene Richards name and others. How do you respond to that criticism from some of the people there that night? Well, I I think that was part of what Max was saying in the statement you referenced earlier. There was some kind of double standard here. You know, when, when Max was on the other side of the desk as the president of city council, he presided over a 90 minute termination hearing for Gene Richards. Um, uh, 
I expect our department heads, look, it, it's critical to me. It's central to the way I want to try to lead the city to focus on uh, fi- good management of the city, good fiscal management of the city to focus on equity issues. I expect my department heads to reflect those values and execute on those values. And when things go wrong, um, I think we pretty in numerous occasions uh, looked into them and, 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 uh, reviewed what happened and figure out how we address them. And um, I think the Gene Richards example I, is actually a very uh, on point example of exactly how we do that. I, it's, uh, I don't understand the, the suggestions, the contrary that were made. Do you, why did, I mean, a lot of people ask this, like why was the meeting allowed to, to go on with name calling even from city and there was a city councilor. Well, I'll, I'll say the name. It's councilor Hightower who even suggested another city councilor had lied. I mean, that type of stuff really isn't allowed at the city council to be challenging people's uh, integrity, motivations, and that type of thing. I, I wonder why was it, why did that, why was that allowed? I know you're yeah. not the president running the meeting, I understand. So, Kurt, you know, again, I, I think you're speaking to a really important issue. It is critical that we be able to discuss, debate, uh, have differing opinions on challenging issues in that venue. It's a really important part of local government's important part of how we move forward as a community. Um, uh, we got away from that for a while, uh, for in recent years, I think president Karen Paul has done a effective job and consistent job of trying to turn that around and get back to that being the deliberative body that uh, takes on serious issues the right way. That didn't happen on Monday night. Um, it was a very challenging room to do that on Monday night. Um, but I think, you know, in general, that's definitely the direction we are going and, and need to go. Was there, I mean, I'm sure there were lots of conversations going on because there, mul- there was multiple recesses taken, but were, were, there, were there conversations about um, if, you know, that, that they didn't want to have that meeting turned into total chaos? So they wanted to, they were allowing things that normally wouldn't be allowed because they were afraid the meeting might de- might descend into some kind of chaos? There were there were several meetings over the course of the night. I think one of them came right on the heels of a pretty, um, you know, uh, almost a, f- a physical interaction between a speaker between speakers. It was on the verge of really getting out of control, and that was why. And you know, I thought President Paul did the right thing to call a recess there. Um, I, you know, there. I don't think I can characterize all the conversations. I wasn't in all the conversations that happened during during the recess. Um, I do think the nature of them was to try to figure out how to hand, you know how to get back on track and have a productive meeting. Um, and uh, you know, I think that was that was the gist of the effort in a large part. I uh, I will just ask this uh, as a person that was watching on TV and was very frustrated at some of the things that were being said, and more than frustrated, I was. I'm pretty upset, actually. I thought there were some really despicable charges that were being made against you and and uh, and also against Joan Shannon. And I, I thought it was outrageous, quite frankly. Um, but those of us that were watching and, and were frustrated and, and really upset about these things that were being said were kind of waiting for a response. And that response never came. Was that kind of just a decision like, like let's just get this move on and get this over with? Uh, Kurt, I understand that reaction. I appreciate that sentiment. I've gotten that kind of feedback from a lot of people, a lot of support in, in, in the days since. Um, I, I, you know, again, I think the, it was clear that the way the night evolved, 
the council, the, the room that night was not the place that it should be a, a place where you can have these kind of important discussions that, and, and, and really be able to have a debate and a back and forth. And I think everyone recognized that and just thought it was important to, uh, that it was time to, to bring an end to it and, and to move forward and that there would be other venues like this one to, to, you know, to, to, to speak to uh, our perspective on it. And um, I, I, I'm not to interrupt, but I think you handled it beautifully because what, what anything you could have said would have been just, it, it would have been counterproductive at that point. It had just broken down to the point where it was like, okay, we're just going to push through this and there'll be another day. And I, I personally, and not that it's about me, I understand that, but you just sat right there and said, okay, let's move on. I appreciate you saying that, Anthony. I, I hope that's right. Oh, yeah. I, I, that was because we've had conversations. People have called and talked about it. And I'm like, what What were your options? Yeah. And that, and I think well, I, there's, there's places to have conversations, constructive conversations that move things forward. And there's times where you just have to say, I think we've hit the wall. Yeah. Well, thanks for seeing it that way. Thanks. I, I, th- I think that's I think that's right. I, I do think it's important for you know people to know that I that again, that the things that were said that night are not consistent with my values, not consistent with um, the vision I have for the city, for the REIB department in particular. And um, they were important. Some of the things that were said and I reject them and uh, we're moving forward. And we're almost at the end of the segment. When we come back, we'll get into a lot of other issues, but I, uh, that's Anthony's opinion on that. Um, let me just ask you a question though on it, which again, I want to just go back to one more second, which is, and it, it's not a campaign, but I just want to ask this in this way. When Bill Clinton ran for president in 1992, they had a rapid response team. And anytime some issue came out, they felt like we need to knock that down so that the narrative doesn't become what the other side wants it to become. The worry by some people, and I would want to ask you, if, do you worry that by not having a response from you or from Councilor Shannon or, or anyone else that, that that narrative takes hold? That because there was no response that people out in the public feel like, Wow, maybe there was something to this. Does that worry you though, not having any response that some people feel like since there was no response, there's something to what the all these people were saying in public forum? I, I understand what you're saying, Kurt, and we're talking about it now. We're we're talking I'm talking later in the day to, to other media and I think uh uh I think we're balancing different things here. I think it was very challenging to do that in the room again the other night, but um, certainly I hope it's clear where I stand on this. Last question before we go to break on this topic, and then we'll be back with some other topics with the mayor. Do you have any regrets in calling for the the audit or review? A uh, fair question, Kurt. I mean, um, uh, but uh, uh, um. I am at peace with the decisions that were made here. They came from a place that has always been at the core of my leadership, which is um, making sure that we are using public dollars well, making sure that uh, we are effective with our equity efforts and, and other efforts. That's That was the reason for this. There was um, real doubt uh, about what had happened um, as a result of the events in Minneapolis and, and um uh, the fact that the project was known to have been over budget, we thought it was important for those values to to be consistent with those values, to to look into it, and and that's why we did what we did. And I think your spokesperson, I think it was from Samantha, said something like it would have been. I'm not sure. I might have the wrong word here. 
malfeasance on our part uh, to not, after what happened in Minneapolis and what they were looking at there, to not take a look at what went on in Burlington. I am confident many would have seen it that way um, had we gone that other route. This was a challenging decision, and um, I hope hope your listeners now are clear on why we did what we did. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, The mayor's going to stay. We're going to uh, switch up the topics a little bit. It's the Morning Drive on FM 96.3 and AM 620. News Talk WVMT. Welcome back to the Morning Drive, everybody. Continuing our discussion now with the mayor of Burlington, Moreau Weinberger. Uh, And Mr. Mayor, can you tell us now... um, no, they had the, I, I wish I'd been able to be there, actually, at the ceremony where Chief Mirad was sworn in, finally, as the full permanent police chief, instead of the uh, acting chief. But at the same time, can, can you talk about that ceremony? But also, where do we stand in connection, in relation to that, with the police rebuild? Kurt, we're basically on track with the rebuilding plan that we laid out a year ago to the, the city council approved. Um, we are um, up to approximately 67 officers now. Um, I may be off by a couple. It's, you know, it's always changing, of course. Uh, that is where we projected to be when we, we laid out this plan last year. Um, and uh, um, and um, <clears throat> So we're on track. It's obviously still being, but this is a slow process. This is what's really painful about it. And that's what always was a problem about what happened here is it's a lot easier to break things than to put them back together. And the rebuilding, um, when you have to go through this long, you know, you go through this long process of creating a new police officer. It's three months of training after a long recruitment period and background checks. I mean, it's a, it is a more than a year and a half process basically from the start of conversations to when we actually create a new officer. And uh, so it's going to take a while before we get back to where we need, but nonetheless, it was definitely a hopeful day for the future of the city. Um, we are making progress in the other areas of the rebuilding as well. And, and um, I really appreciate how chief Murad does it to have every Everybody kind of take this oath at the, the same time. And so we're able to see the new social workers and community service officers and dispatchers that have joined the department as well. And so it's, you know, it's clear that the rebuilding efforts are working. Uh, it's, it's unfortunate that it takes as long as it does. And, of course, you have to have, I mean, if you all of a sudden said everybody agreed, let's hire 20 new police officers. You couldn't do it tomorrow. You couldn't do it next year because you got to have the candidates in the pipeline, too. Yeah, it, it is the, the nature of of how someone becomes a police officer, a new police officer means it takes a long time. Uh, we are also focusing on trying, you know, it, it can be much quicker if, if we find people who want to lateral here from uh, other departments. That is part of our plan. That is part of our efforts. We've never had a lot of laterals. Um, historically, we have, we have had more over the last year plus as we've been in this rebuilding plan, and we're hopeful for a couple more be- before the end of the year. That obviously is a much quicker process, um, but it's a very hard time for laterals right now because the kind of sh- we have one of the more dramatic uh, shortfalls of of cities across the country. But almost every city is is grappling with this and having trouble uh, hiring police and 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 retaining police. And so it's a pretty it's a it's a pretty tough environment to be trying to get people to make a move. As mayor, how concerned are you? I'm sure you saw the reports on WCX News about Champlain College students first last week. Champlain College students and their parents were on the news talking about their concerns for public safety for their for their kids coming here. 
and they did another story about UVM and what UVM is trying to do. And basically they, they had some students that were talking about uh, that they are concerned when they go downtown, that there's a palpable difference in the way it used to be. Um, how concerning to you is that to hear students talking about public safety in the downtown area? Yeah, I mean, I hate hearing that, Kurt. It's it's terrible. Um, uh, and it's something we are working very hard and very directly on. We are putting um, a huge percentage of our police capacity we're devoting to um, trying to make sure that this year um, Church Street, City Hall Park, the downtown you know, feel different than they did uh at times during 2022 was a really challenging year. I think we are meeting that standard. I think it has been a better year um, in those areas consistently throughout the summer, not without problems, but um, but a lot, we're, we're working hard on it. And I think it, and we've, we are succeeding in significant part on that. It does take away resources from some other areas of, of the, of the downtown, other areas of the city. And so of course there are problems that emerge from that. And I think that's what you're seeing reflected in uh in in these comments clearly what we have to do is well we got to do a lot of things we one of the things we have to do is get back to having the police department capacity that we have historically and as we just noted we're we're we're, we're chipping away at that um a big part of what is making people feel like things are troubling right now is this huge national statewide issue of of fentanyl um and and meth becoming these dominant drugs that are here far worse than they've ever been before and which are um uh which are having really negative community impacts and so we also have a lot of work to do uh, on that front and you know you may have seen uh, uh we put out a press release um i think it was just yesterday right that or sorry it was last week we put out this press release um noting that uh, we have now had more overdose response calls by the police this year than in all of 2022. 2022 was a huge record year as well. So I do think that is a big part of what is going on, making people feel like something different is happening here is because, yes, there is something different happening. We have a, a growing, huge drug problem. And that's why I've been saying for some time now we need to make the drug crisis once again our top public health challenge. The way it was from 2014 to 2020 until the pandemic hit, we were making progress during that period. The tactics that we were using in that period are no longer effective because fentanyl is a different drug and is a more pernicious drug. Uh, but that principle of it being the top challenge that everyone's focused on, that principles that we had during that period of innovation, trying new things, working together to, to, to turn this around, we've got to get back to that. And I'm trying to do everything I can to push us in that direction. Yeah, I think um, the, the difference in the drugs, are certainly. Let's go to the phones. Good morning. You're live on The Morning Drive. Yes, thank you for taking my call. Um, he's talking about the drug problem and... I have to tell him, I hate to disappoint him, but nothing is going to be done about it until the border is more controlled and until there are more law enforcement to enforce the laws, which I know he is trying to do. I also wanted to say that I disagree with the mayor on about 80% of the things that he talks about. But when he talks about law enforcement, I really respect and admire how hard he tried to uh, help us with that. And I also want to say that as much as I disagree with him, there is no way I would ever believe the charges brought against him. And I think it's wholly unfair to just call somebody out because you don't like what they're saying. So 
I appreciate him for what he's done, and uh, I wish he could do more about enforcing the policies on the books, but that's Sarah George, I suppose. Thank you. Well, I appreciate the sentiment of the caller, and I actually agree um, with her that we this is a huge the the border the border is a real issue with this i mean the the fentanyl the one of the really problematic things about fentanyl that's different from prior opioids um is that this is a drug that is produced in a lab not grown in fields and it is being generated in huge volumes um uh, and getting and coming into this country from China, from Mexico, and um, I do think we need the federal government focused on this issue and doing more to interdict it. I mean, we are just awash in an enormous volume of this, and I think it's a very hard challenge. I think it's tied up with geopolitical issues that are not easily resolved. I mean, I'm certainly sympathetic to why this is challenging for the federal government to take on, but I, I do think. Um, greater interdiction, so there's just not so much of this stuff incredibly inexpensively available. It does need to be part of the solution. And you've heard Mayor Adams in New York City say that they just they can't keep up with um, people coming from across the border into New York City for one place, and that they're talking about sending them somewhere else. Yeah, I mean that's a whole different uh, immigration well, issue, I think, than the than the drug issue. Uh, I think important to separate them, but. Um, uh, we, these are these are challenging times in numerous ways. Number of ways, and you see that in the state city interactions in other states. Let's go. Uh, let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Yes. Good morning, Moreau. Uh Dale Tillotson here. Hi, Dale. Um, I was one of the callers uh, this morning that uh, came to your defense over those actions on uh, Monday night. Um, there was absolutely no excuse for the abuse that you had to take that evening. Um, I guess I would compare it to Earl Weaver screaming screaming at an umpire. They should have been ejected. Quite simple. They should have been ejected from the building. But I know that would probably cause other problems. But there's absolutely no excuse for none of the city councilors, except one, to make a motion to try to get the meeting under control. Because it was never under control from the day, from the minute that the first ball was thrown in. Totally out of control. I don't believe any of the charges that were being made against. And I, for one, would have been very upset had there not been some kind of an audit done. But with that said, I totally support the actions of the audit. I do not support the actions of the people at that meeting that night. There's absolutely no way that you should have been made to stand there and take that abuse. It was out of control, and I apologize for the citizens of this city for the inactions of the council president and the council members, except one, to take control of that meeting. Thank you. Right. Yeah, I appreciate you calling in. Um, uh, again, um, I think President Paul has worked really hard to um, restore the Burlington City Council uh, after a really tough period to being a place where we can have important deliberative discussions. It was very difficult to do Monday night. And when you talk about restoring, you're talking about the previous one, President, but not the previous one before that, right? <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to get, not get thrown into that. <laughs> well, you know, let's we could we could go back further. No, let's go to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning. Uh, can the Burlington Police Department work directly directly with 
federal prosecutors or the attorneys general's attorney general's office and just ignore Sarah George? Do they have to go through her first, or can they go to these other prosecutors first? <clears throat> so, um, look, I, I I understand um, there are a lot of frustrations uh, about the public safety challenges we're facing right now that didn't used to be here. There's a whole bunch of different reasons for those. I think it's important that people be clear about that. I, you know, I think the biggest reason that we other, you know, other than the drugs, which I think is uh, a real societal change. um, I actually think the biggest breakdown in our systems, um, even greater than the, the depletion of our police department, um, uh, and, you know, whatever uh, concern people might have about prosecutorial decisions, I think something that I completely agree with about Sarah George is that our challenge was made far tougher by the fact that the the courts were uh, essentially shut down for a, um, a uh, much longer, you know, two and a half, uh, uh, you know, essentially a year longer than um, almost everything else it was up and running and the court systems were still only uh, dealing with the most um, violent cases. And, you know, what I think this was really brought attention to is that so many of our systems, not, you know, obviously the incarceration system depends on, on, on the courts, but what people I think don't um, understand is that everything else, all these alternative uh, responses, ways we've created to keep people out of jail, but ensure that they are, there are some consequences, ensure that they're getting help, ensure that they are dealing with drug issues, and ensure that they are, um, you know, trying to uh, move away from whatever has caused them to get in trouble with the law in the first place. All those systems shut down as well. And uh, that really, we're, we're still digging out from that. And um, I don't understand why there hasn't been more attention to that. Morrell, retail theft. We know it's not just a Burlington issue. South Burlington's been hit big time with it, as has Williston. There's been stories about both communities. But no question, it's an issue in Burlington, and it seems to be a growing issue. I know there was testimony from Burlington uh, business owners in front of the legislature last year, in front of the committee. Last two years, yeah. Yeah, and they were asking for uh, some laws to be toughened up so that there's actual consequences to to retail theft, which I know you've heard all the stories. Burlington, they sometimes have somebody come in and rob them blatantly and are back um, doing it before the day's over again. But do you think, um, we know that you're up in Montpelier a lot. You lobby up in Montpelier, you're not lobbyist, but you you go to committees. <laughs> it is and, kind of one of the jobs of the yeah, to be you, a lobbyist. You, yeah. are, you are a lobbyist for Burlington. You've lobbied in front of Montpelier for changes in housing laws and with some success. But do you think... Um, that there ought to be some changes to laws and that the legislature ought to look into those. And this is something you will talk to even Burlington legislators about. So people should be clear. This is not just a Burlington issue, not just a Wilson issue, not just a Vermont issue. This too is something that is happening nationally. And I think it's tied up with the the fentanyl issue um, in that clearly uh, there's people who are addicted. Some, some percentage of people who are addicted are fund that addiction through through property crime. And we've always seen that the years that we were seeing our overdose levels go down. We were also seeing property crime go down. So I, I do think these things are related. The um, I, I think that the law 
uh, is an issue in the way I, the way Vermont's law is written. We did a fair amount of analysis. It was something we uh, advocated on last year. I think there's some real differences in Vermont's law versus other states' laws. I think other states do a better job of um, having escalating penalties for recidivist uh, behavior. And I think that's really the issue we need to focus in on here. I think I certainly understand everyone's reluctance to for there to be major uh, incarceration for um, low-level uh, shoplifting crimes, uh, and that's appropriate. But when we have people who are doing this again and again and again, there's got to be some consequences. And whether we get to that through some change in the way we mutually police this and prosecute it, or whether it's a change in the law, or whether it's um, something else, um, it, it's really important, I think, for the downtown stakeholders, the downtown businesses that are such a big part of why Burlington, downtown Burlington is a wonderful place to, to visit and to go um, and has been such, a, you know, at the core of our community for so long. Uh, I do think we need improvement over um, what we've seen. I, I have a sense it's, it, it, things are a little bit better this year in some areas than, than last year, but um, it's not where it needs to be. Let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning. Uh, Mayor, I uh, stand behind you as well with what was going on recently. I did think you did the right uh, thing by doing the audit. It's uh, sad that some people just can't take responsibility and find uh, very what I would consider an obscene excuse. But uh, really what I wanted to ask you about is the court diversion program, which started many years ago was supposed to be a once-in-a-lifetime second chance for people, and it has now become a revolving door for people to, especially things like drug offenses, to just constantly escape any type of serious penalty for their for their actions, including, you know, selling drugs. Um, is that something, you know, reforming that, is that something you could get behind? And I'm going to hang up and listen to your answer. I appreciate the question. Um, you know, court diversion is one of those systems that I was kind of referring to a moment ago that really shut down during the pandemic. Um, and I think is a problem. I think, I think the court diversion has a valuable role. I take the caller's point that there are limits to what court diversion can get done. I, I would say here's my basic kind of big picture take on this. And I think it's an important question that the caller's asking and it's sort of reflective of kind of a bigger question. Like here, I, I do think, um, that we, and we talked a little bit about this, I think, last month. I, I basically think we have lost our way with this issue. It, I think a lot of people are feeling really overwhelmed about the drug problem. It is clearly, after all the effort, all the millions of dollars that have been spent here locally and nationally to turn this issue around, things have just gotten worse. And that is heartbreaking, and it is concerning, and I think... In a way, uh, a lot of people have sort of kind of given up a little bit about this, and you hear less discussion of this in some ways than we did in the years 2014 to 2019 when Governor Sumlin made this the top public health priority for the state, made it the top issue t- period in 2014 when he devoted his entire state of the state to this. The issue is far worse now than it was then, and yet we hear our state leaders talking a lot less about it than we we did in the past. We We don't have the kind of galvanized all hands on deck, push on this, the way we did in those years and the way that was working in those years. I think we got to get back to that. We got it. We need to recognize that what we are doing 
that was working for a while no longer is. We, and thus, we need to really focus on innovation. That's what I've tried to do. I got myself onto this state committee that to advise on how we use the settlement dollars. And a lot of my my uh, a lot of what I advocated for did end up being passed by the legislatures and invested. Now um, we need we clearly need to be doing much more to make our systems for treatment work better than they do. But I do I, I do think the caller I do have a concern. I think we need to be asking ourselves, as the caller just did, is even when we get all of our treatment systems fully to the point um, where they uh, are working as well as they possibly can, I, I think that may not be enough. I think we have to be asking ourselves, are there some uh, other measures that we've been reluctant to take here in Vermont that we need to consider, given how bad this problem is? This problem is so bad. It is affecting so many of us. There was a new study out just yesterday. Uh, biggest one of the biggest national studies has been done. Three in ten Americans know either themselves or some close family member or close associate suffering from this addiction. Mm-hmm. It's having a huge impact on this country. When we, something is such a big problem and is clearly not going in the right direction, I think everything needs to be on the table. I agree. Uh, let's go back to the phones. One, we got time for one more call. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Mr. Mayor, thank you for suffering the slings and arrows of uh, cruel whatever it was at that meeting. You showed your character, and frankly, so did the other people. They'll be remembered for what they did that night. So that's the good news. You'll be remembered for being a fine, stoic man of character. They'll be remembered for being, uh, well, what they were, words I won't use. Regarding uh, regarding what's going on now with uh, the streets uh, being uh, perhaps dangerous for students, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the person for whom the courthouse is named, Judge Edward Costello, he was the only judge in Chittenden County for many years. He handled all the criminal cases. And he used to admonish everyone who came before him uh, facing a charge. Uh, if, if he let them go or if he let them go with really low bail, he would always admonish them and remind them that if I see you here again before this charge is disposed of, you better have your toothbrush with you. <laughs> what he meant by that, that was a direct quote. And he said it all the time. And he meant it, and he imposed it. We need to go back to that. This is no cash bail situation. is absurd, and I think it is a real driver for so many of the problems. You probably agree. Not much time left. Mary, just so. <laughs> I do think we have a recidivism problem that needs to be dealt with differently than... Uh, than, than we have in, in recent years. And um, I, uh, I think that's what the caller is getting at when people are committing the same acts, even if they're lower level acts again and again, it becomes a real problem for the community if there's no consequences for that. And we got to look at that. Mr. Mayor, thank you for being on the morning drive. As always, giving us uh, of your precious time. We appreciate it very much. The mayor of Plattsburgh's on tomorrow. Anything you want to ask him? <laughs> you know, I was just with him at a mayor's conference last week. Great guy, great new energy he's brought over there yeah. in Plattsburgh. Um, you, you know, you should talk to him about it. I think he's having bigger issues with his council than we are here in Burlington at times. So really? Can, believe yeah. Whoa, okay. That's on, I'm writing that one down. All right. Well, yeah, ask him about his here. hotel project on the waterfront there. <laughs> Only here on News Talk WVMT Burlington. From ABC News. I'm Derek Dennis. A trial date could soon be announced in the criminal indictment case against former President Trump and 18 alleged co-conspirators over the 2020 election interference. Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis revealing she wants arraignments to take place in 